Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers through the years. We are in the 14th century, which has us taking up one St. Bridget of Sweden, another very unique saint, another very unique woman of God. To study St. Bridget of Sweden is to appreciate who she was as both a wife and mother, and at the same time, one who was a unique servant of God after her husband passed away. Uh, She started in order. Uh, She was a mystic. So there's lots of things to talk about, but before we get into any of that, I do just want to continue to extend a thank you to all of you listeners out there who are just not listening locally in the the city of Chico, the the Diocese of Sacramento, or the state of California, but beyond uh, the borders of this state, uh, beyond the borders of this country. uh, As I continue to get the numbers, I see that this radio program is uh, expanding, and I just want to say thank you to all of you listeners out there, whether you are in South America, Europe, Asia, or the Middle East, uh, up in Canada, wherever you might be listening to this radio program, uh, I welcome you, and it really is an honor that you are taking uh, a half hour out of your time to journey with me, and by the grace of God, to go deeper into your faith. No matter what our subject matter is, my dear friends, it is never enough to just talk about it. It must always be internalized, and then out from having our faith internalized, we might grow in our conviction to love in word and deed. This is what uh, Seeds of Truth is all about. This is my hope and my prayer that uh, this program really does give impetus to uh, new questions, which lead to new beginnings, which always leads to a new vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, that being said, St. Bridget of Sweden, as we do from one Monday to the next, we will lean into uh, Benedict the Sixteenth's uh, Wednesday audiences. Uh, by the way, John O'Hare is not with me this evening. Uh, he is typically with me each and every Monday evening. He is out of town, so I am flying solo. If you have any questions, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to send me your emails at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org. That's J-O-E-H-O-L-L. CRAFT.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your question on its way. Okay, now, St. Bridget of Sweden. It was on the eve of the great jubilee in anticipation of the year 2000 that St. John Paul II proclaimed St. Bridget of Sweden co-patroness of the whole of Europe. I mean, how important is that? This evening, we will engage her message and the reasons why, still today, this holy woman has much to teach the Church and the world. Um, We are well acquainted with the events of St. Bridget's life because her spiritual fathers compiled her biography in order to further the process of her canonization immediately after her death 
in the late 14th century in 1373. Uh, Bridget herself was born 70 years earlier in 1303 in Finster, Sweden, a northern European nation that for three centuries had welcomed the Christian faith with the same enthusiasm as that with which the saint had received it from her parents, very devout people who belonged to noble families closely related to the reigning house. Now, we can distinguish two periods in this saint's life. The first was characterized by her happily married state. Her husband uh, was named Ulf. He was a governor of an important district of the Kingdom of Sweden. This marriage lasted for 28 years until Ulf's death. Uh, They had eight children, the second of whom, uh, Catherine, is venerated today as a saint. Have we not seen this before, my friends? I mean, from one saint after another, as we've studied these great Christian thinkers, we see saints, if not in the immediate family, within the family tree. This is an eloquent sign of Bridget's dedication to her children's education. It was, in fact, King Magnus of Sweden, who so appreciated her pedagogical wisdom, that is, how she went about teaching and the insight that she applied, that he summoned her to court for a time so that she could introduce his young wife to Swedish culture. So she was widely respected. Bridget, who was given herself spiritual guidance by a learned religious, initiated her into the study of the scriptures. So we can properly say, my dear friends, that this learned religious exercised a very positive influence on her family, which, thanks to her presence, became a true domestic church. Uh, What does that mean, domestic church, by the way? I've used that phrase before. I want to go to Acts 2, verses 41 to 42. Listen to what Luke writes here. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. So here you have in Acts 2.42, my dear friends, teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayers. The essential actions of the church being brought forth in the believing community in Jerusalem. They held to the uh, doctrinal catechesis of the apostles' teaching, interpersonal communion and support, the celebration of the Eucharist, and community praise and petitions. What you have there is not only the life of the early church, but the same life we are to establish in our own homes when we are about that teaching, that fellowship, that breaking of the bread and prayers We indeed are domestic church. And what's more for St. Bridget of Sweden, she was about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Another sign of the domestic church, huh? What are the corporal and spiritual works of mercy before I go too far? Well, the corporal works of mercy are what? To feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, uh, to clothe the naked, to harbor the harborless, to visit the sick, to ransom the captive. And what's the last one? To bury the dead, huh? How about the spiritual works of mercy? The spiritual works of mercy are to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish sinners, a very important spiritual work of mercy, uh, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive offenses willingly, uh, to comfort the afflicted, and to 
pray for the living and the dead. Those are the spiritual works of mercy. So the corporal and spiritual works of mercy is certainly what the church is all about and what our families ought to be all about. And once again, this was the life of St. Bridget of Sweden. And we speak of it in this first category because it is so important to appreciate who she was as both wife and mother, raising her children up in this domestic church where she would exemplify what the corporal and spiritual works of mercy were all about. Now, another important aspect to her life was that she was indeed initiated into the study of scriptures. What does that mean to be initiated into the study of scriptures? What does it mean to say that that she was an eloquent teacher of sacred scripture and the Catholic faith as a whole? She understood well what we have talked about a great deal on this radio program, huh? To read the Old Testament in light of the new and the new in light of the, the old. To read the Bible as one single drama of salvation history. The Old Testament has 46 books and the New Testament has 27 books. Do you ever start reading a book in chapter 47? No, of course you wouldn't. You always start with chapter 1. And yet every time we open up the Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, what are we doing? But we are opening up a book in chapter 47. Because although the Gospel of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, it is uh, chapter 47 of the book that is the drama of salvation history. So we need to go back to the book of Genesis. And we do so to better understand how God works in salvation history. Okay? Why does Christ say in John 5, 39 and following, you search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me? These are Christ's words. We didn't have New Testament scriptures yet. He's talking about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament bears witness to him. This is why, my dear friends, that we find Matthew frequently quoting Old Testament passages to establish Christ's credentials as the Messiah. We see Jesus and Matthew often alluding to the Old Testament in subtle ways by drawing comparisons between ancient persons, places, and events, and Jesus himself. This form of Old Testament interpretation is what we call typology, something that would have been at the heart of St. Bridget's teaching. A typological reading of the Old Testament is always attuned, my dear friends, to the distinctive rhymes in salvation history, where God acts in similar, or we could say typical ways, each time he reveals himself and delivers his people. Thus, the Father teaches us about himself through the use of things and events long familiar in the minds of his people. In short, he uses old truths to instruct us about new ones. Thinking about the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus and Matthew look back on several Old Testament figures and institutions to bring the surpassing glory of Christ and the new covenant into focus. We see how the great heroes and memories of old bring clarity to the greater person of Jesus Christ. Essentially, we could say, the coming of Jesus marks the dramatic climax to the Old Testament story as he fulfills all of the types that God prepared throughout the history of salvation. And in so doing, we gain a deeper appreciation of not only how God works in history, but how we ourselves are to be caught up in that same drama, how he calls us to share in the transformation of history. My dear friends, be rest assured 
any good instruction on sacred scripture is going to have us reading the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. All of the evangelists use things that are familiar to explain things that are unfamiliar. And you do so by not only applying typology, but the senses as a whole. And if you want to get to know more about the senses, I'm not going to get into all of them right now, but I would just encourage you to go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs uh, 114, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and uh, read as you wish. Okay, I, I pause and reflect upon that because it is very important for us to just not understand the importance of typology, but also that when St. Bridget was initiated into a deeper study of scriptures and consequently understanding it was about how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and how at once he transforms covenant life. What would be one example of what I'm talking about now? Well, just think about Christ as the new Moses, as the supreme lawgiver of the Old Covenant. Moses prefigures Christ, who gives the new law in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus also, we can say, reenacts experiences from Moses' infancy and the prophet's 40 days of fasting and solitude. Finally, Moses bears witness to uh, Jesus' greater glory at the Transfiguration, where Jesus is showcased as uh, the prophet like Moses. There are many ways in which we can look carefully at how Christ is a new Old Testament uh, patriarch or prophet. He's a new David. He's a new Solomon. He's a new Jonah. He's a new Isaac. Essentially, he is new because, behold, he makes all things new. And this would have been close to the heart of St. Bridget of Sweden. Okay, returning to her life. Now, together with her husband, she adopted the rule of the Franciscans. And again, embracing the corporal works of mercy, you would often find her uh, generously practicing works of charity for the poor. Uh, most notably, she founded a hospital. If you follow the life of uh, one St. Bridget of Sweden and her husband, Ulf, you see that Ulf advances in character at his wife's side. Now, this is important because it is another reminder of how each and every one of us are called to encourage uh, the Christian ideal in one another. <laughs> so we see uh, Ulf himself increasing in sanctity and holiness. You know, just reflecting more on the impact that St. Uh, Bridget of Sweden had on Ulf, it really was her religious sensitivity, her delicacy, and gentleness that it succeeded in persuading her husband to follow a path of faith. We ought to be in gratitude today of the many women who day after day illuminate their families with the witness of Christian life in our time as well. The Lord's Spirit ought to inspire holiness in Christian spouses today to show the world the beauty of marriage lived in accordance with the gospel values, love, tenderness, reciprocal help, fruitfulness in begetting and in raising children, openness and solidarity to the world and participation in the life of the church. It's interesting, this fall the parents of St. Therese are to be canonized. While this was more of a mutual encouragement, it is a not-so-subtle reminder of the need for 
all marriages to grow in holiness. We are made to turn our attention towards the call of holiness that belongs to each and every marriage and to each and every family. In point of fact, it's always to remember the Hebrew word for marriage itself, tradesh, literally translates as what? But holiness, the life of St. Bridget of Sweden, is a testimony to a wife and mother who sought out holiness. Amen to that. Now, the second period of Bridget's life began when she was widowed. Now, she did not consider another marriage in order to, as we would come to appreciate, deepen her union with the Lord through prayer, penance, and we could say charitable works. Therefore, in St. Bridget of Sweden, Christian widows uh, may find in this saint a model to follow. In fact, upon the death of her husband, after distributing her possessions to the poor, although she never became a consecrated religious, Bridget settled near the Cistercian Monastery of Alvastra. Here began, in this monastery, the divine revelations that were to accompany her for the rest of her life. Now, Bridget would dictate these to her confessors, who translated them from Swedish into Latin and gathered them into eight volumes entitled Revelations. Um, And ultimately, uh, when you go through the life of St. Bridget of Sweden, you see that a supplement followed these books called precisely Supplementary Revelations. Now, to talk about Revelations is to talk about mystical experience. What is this all about? Well, the mystical experience is when one encounters the superordinary in the ordinary, the supernatural in the natural. It often leads to a deep ache that leaves us with a wounded heart, longing to be with him. For anyone who has encountered the mystical is one who has encountered a new depth dimension to the very life of God. And in so grasping this new depth dimension of God, all we want to do is abide in this new depth dimension, this new discovery of God's greatness, God's goodness, God's love, and how this life is to penetrate our own. The mystical life can certainly be seen in the transfiguration, where Christ, without ceasing to be who he was, before the three apostles became something more. And this is what happens in our own mystical encounters, my dear friends, right? We never cease to be Joe, John, Bob, but we become something more. We begin to fulfill our divine potential. Remember what 2 Peter 1.4 says, we are participators in the divine life of God. God calls us to encounter him in the mystical. And so it is there where we find him. So we must seek him there, seek the superordinary in the ordinary. Let us remember, my friends, in spite of what the world is telling you about what you need to do to become the best version of who you think you need to be, it is only in light of God who created you that you can discover the potential of who you are called to be. Yes, we can be great mechanics, technicians, accountants, dermatologists, but is what you do ultimately the fulfillment of who you are called to be? No. Why? 
because we are not human doings, but human beings. And in light of our call to being God, we discover that our doing has a divine quality. So often today, we hear about the need for man to advance, and certainly he does, technologically speaking. And technology is not a bad thing. But if it becomes the end, then it is. Why? What we do in the end does not fulfill the potential of who we are, because we are just not bodies. We are just not the flesh. We are a body and a soul. We are flesh and a spirit. And in light of that, it is only in the Christian revelation that we can begin to discover the potential of who we are called to be. That being said, St. Bridget's revelations have a very uh, varied content and style, we could say. At times, uh, the revelations are presented in the form of dialogues between the divine persons, the virgin, the saints, and even demons. They are dialogues in which Bridget also takes part. At other times, instead, a specific vision might be described, and yet in others, what the Virgin Mary reveals to her concerning the life and mysteries of her son. The value of St. Bridget's revelation sometimes over the course of the years has been the object of criticism, but it was St. John Paul II who explained in one particular letter, and I want to read this, that the church which recognized Bridget's holiness without ever pronouncing on her individual revelations has accepted the overall authenticity of her interior experience. Indeed, we can say, my friends, reading these revelations challenges us on many important topics. For example, we see in one of her revelations the description of Christ's passion with very realistic details frequently recurring. I remember when the passion was being directed, St. Bridget of Sweden's name was coming up because certainly what you had in those revelations was something that was appearing on the screen. Now, Mel Gibson never said that the details of the movie uh, were inspired by St. Bridget of Sweden, but certainly there was a continuity between the two. Lastly, as it relates to the subject matter of our revelations, we often find the sorrowful mother of Mary reoccurring in her revelations, so uh, this would be another point of devotion for her. Now, in receiving these charisms, Bridget was well aware that she had been given a gift of special love on the Lord's part. Uh, My daughter, we read in the first book of Revelations, I have chosen you for myself. Love me with all your heart, more than all that exists in the world. Bridget, moreover, knew well and was firmly convinced that every charism is destined to build up the church. For this very reason, many of her revelations were addressed in the form of admonishments, even severe ones, to the believers of her time, including and I find this most fascinating, both religious and political authorities, that they might live a consistent Christian life. But she always reprimanded them with an attitude of respect and full fidelity to the magisterium of the church, and in particular, of course, to the successor of the apostle uh, Peter. You know, earlier I was talking about the spiritual work of mercy to admonish sinners. Here in treating St. Bridget of Sweden, we ought to appreciate that she admonished sinners, but she always did so with a deep respect for the person she was admonishing. Uh, Far too often today, 
when we admonish others, we do it with a sense of pride. But in fact, what the gospel reminds us is that any time admonishment is present, it must be in the presence of humility uh, by both parties. Now, wrapping up her life, uh, she died in 1373 and was buried temporarily in Rome. But in 1374, two of her children, uh, Berger and Catherine, who again we know now as a saint, took her body back to her homeland to the monastery of Vadstena, the headquarters of the religious order St. Bridget had founded. It's interesting, uh, as we see so often, after her death, the order immediately experienced a considerable expansion, exponential growth. And in 1391, Pope Boniface IX solemnly canonized her. Uh, We could say that Bridget's holiness, characterized by the multiplicity of her gifts and experiences, makes her an eminent figure, not only in European history, but one that we ought to study. St. Bridget, my friends, bore witness to the way Christianity had deeply permeated the life of all the peoples of her continent. And certainly, uh, John Paul II, in declaring her co-patroness of Europe, has called upon St. Bridget to really renew a a continent that needs to be renewed. And it is so fitting, my friends, as we wrap up our radio program, to highlight that point— You know, Pope Francis, when speaking to the European Parliament, called them an infertile grandmother. Now, why in the world, when Pope Francis is speaking to the European Parliament, in referencing Europe, he would call them an infertile grandmother? Well, my friends, because they have gone the way of secularism. And Pope Francis was challenging them to look in the mirror and to remember their Christian roots. And certainly, my friends... All of Europe would be served well if they turned to St. Bridget of Sweden. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.